came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. Great show again. Senator Ron Johnson from Middle America. Just Janine Pirro. There's many things that she's upset about. How do we live longer with Dr. Peter Michalos? Senator Marsha Blackburn, Steve Cates on about looking up in the sky. And let's start with Admiral James Stavridis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Let's find out the truth. With us today is Admiral James Stavridis. He was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO for four years. Uh, he is now uh, uh, with the Carlisle Group, Vice uh, Chairman. And uh, he is Chairman of the Board of the... Rockefeller Foundation, and there's nobody that knows more about what is going on in the world than he does. Good morning. Great to hear your voice, John. Always a pleasure to be with you. The last time we talked a few weeks ago, I hated to joke around and say, how many countries have to be involved before we call it a world war? (laughs) I don't see things getting much better. Let's talk about Russia, Ukraine, Russia is putting out statements that we're underestimating them. Uh, Sweden has become a member of NATO, I I believe now. Poland is uh, putting out that they're afraid they're going to be invaded. I mean, what is the truth? Yeah, let's start in Europe. So both sides, both Russia and Ukraine, are increasingly exhausted by this war in terms of their military capability and in terms of the economic sanctions that are being applied on both sides. So both countries are struggling. And of course, that's bad news for Russia and Ukraine. But globally, it could move us toward a moment where the sides want to negotiate. Now, there's a good bit to go before we get to that, John. The next big thing will be as we come out of the winter stalemate, Ukraine will have a new military advantage. They're going to have F-16 aircraft supplied by the West. Hopefully our Congress will get the job done in terms of continuing aid to Ukraine. Europeans are certainly doing so. Assuming that military aid continues and assuming those F-16s hit the battlefield, I think Ukraine will have a pretty good bounce in their step in the spring. On the Russian side, their new addition is a lot of material coming in from North Korea. So both sides are facing challenges in their military inventories, but both sides have outside sources. When I kind of put it all together, John, I think toward the end of this year, probably after the U.S. elections, we've got a moment for potential negotiation. So I'll, I'll wrap up by saying, well, how will this end? You know, what what will the conclusion look like? And I think it is a better than even chance that ultimately this will end like the Korean War, meaning that Russia will probably still have control of some portion of Ukraine, Crimea, the land bridge to Russia. On the other hand, I see Ukraine coming into NATO. I think 
the outline of that deal will probably become more clear as this year goes on. Admiral, there's also rumors around our military uh, that we're short on ammunition, we're short on various uh, ammo, and uh, also about a lot of discontent that things are not going right. What do you hear behind the scenes? Well, first and foremost, the U.S. military is forward deployed, conducting highly capable and credible combat operations. Um, We've got two carrier strike groups that are in active combat off the Arabian Peninsula. They're knocking down Houthi pirate missile sites. Um, They are knocking down missiles being fired at global commerce. Likewise, the U.S. military in Ukraine is uh, part of NATO, is supporting the Ukrainians. They fought the Russians to a standstill. Last week, U.S. Navy warships passed through the Taiwan Strait, sending a signal to China uh, of our determination to keep those waters as international and free. So point one, the U.S. military is out and about the world and is performing very, very well. Point two, shortages of ammunition. I think that some of our surplus ammunition stocks have been depleted in order to support, for example, Ukraine and Israel at the moment. However, I assure you, John, the Department of Defense would never cut into the ammunition and missiles that are designated to support our global contingency war fighting plans. These are op plans, con plans. We would never cut into those. So, yes, the overall excess ammunition that we've had at one point is now flowing, I think, appropriately to Ukraine and to Israel, both sensible uses of that. But the bottom line is we need to increase the capability of U.S. defense base. Finish with this. I think the real challenge here is not about the current moment. It's about the rising threat of China and can our defense industrial base compete with China's, which is increasing exponentially, frankly. So I'm satisfied the U.S. military is quite capable at the moment, and it's proving it. But it's the future we ought to worry about, and China is the pacing threat. President Xi, he wants more commerce with the United States. Meanwhile, there's rumors uh, going around he is getting rid of certain generals and, and keeping others because he wants generals that will follow his orders 100%. What do you hear? Are they pro-commerce and pro-rather have peace than war? What, what, give us your, your feelings. In terms of President Xi, he is consolidating control of the Chinese military. He's already firmly in control of the government. He wants to make sure that both the generals, the admirals, the leading political actors in China, the leading business men and women of China are all on board with the vision of the Chinese Communist Party. In terms of his objective, his number one objective, John, is the Chinese economy. It's still in the doldrums, still would say in a Navy context, his ship is in irons. It doesn't have the way on the ship. It's not operating well. And that's because of the mishandling of COVID for three years. China has just not emerged from the pandemic and gotten back to the kind of consistent 5 to 7% growth that they really need. By some estimates, their growth may be as low as 1% to 2%. 
perhaps a bit higher. That's not sufficient to keep the population. They have very high youth unemployment, always a key sign of discontent. Their demographics are very bad. Uh, Women are not producing enough children. Therefore, their population is declining year after year. So when you put all that together, if you're President Xi, your number one objective is a functioning global economy. And that's why, and this is a good thing, China is cooperating with the United States in trying to put pressure on Iran to stop these piracy attacks, for example, off the coast of the Red Sea. So put it all together, Xi is still firmly in control. He's not looking for a war. He would like to get the global economy going in hopes that that will lift the boat of the Chinese economy. And the one exception to everything I just said would be if Taiwan declared independence and really tried to break away. I think that could lead to a war. I don't foresee that happening. Taiwan just had an election. The candidate was not the preferred one of China, but it's still that new president, President Lai, who will be installed in office in April. He's not looking for independence. He's not looking for a war. So I think overall, U.S.-China relations are a a good spot compared to what's going on in the Middle East and compared to what's going on in Ukraine. I win. Why are there such sensitivities in Washington from the current administration on Iran? The Wall Street Journal carried an article that we gave them intelligence that Saudi Arabia's ISIS was going to attack. They didn't believe it, but we gave them the intelligence, according to the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, that is surprising to me. I, for one, don't understand why we would want to provide intelligence about a terrorist attack to an Iranian government that is attacking us through proxies, through the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea, their proxies in Iraq and Syria are attacking our troops. So I am perplexed as to why we would provide them intelligence because we're in a near state of war with Iran right now. Uh, Having said that, we then saw the callous behavior of the Iranians. I suppose they didn't believe us. But um, almost 100 of their people were killed at that ceremony where we warned them uh, there would be a terrorist attack. I think the, the key to understand here is that Iran, through its proxies, the Houthis in the Red Sea, Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah north of Israel occupying the state of Lebanon, in all three of those places, they are attacking us. They're attacking Israel, they would seek to do damage to the Gulf Arab states, Saudi Arabia and UAE, who are our partners and allies and friends. Iran is no friend to the United States, and I think we need to increase the military pressure on Iran. My good friend, who's on one of the Navy boards, Leo Koulis, says to me that they're concerned that the Navy needs more ships, they need more support. Tell me what what your thoughts are. I'll give you the numbers, John. We've got about 300 significant military warships in the United States Navy. China has 350, and they are building more than we are. So you don't have to be a Nobel Prize-winning mathematician to realize the number of Chinese ships is going to continue to outpace us. Ours are bigger. We have nuclear power. We have a lot of capability. We have a lot more experience. 
but quantity has a quality all its own. And therefore, I think your friend is correct. We need to build more warships. We need to think about a U.S. Navy that approaches 350 ships. And all you have to do, John, is look around the world and look at the demand signal. We have carriers in the eastern Mediterranean and in the Red Sea, in the Arabian Gulf, in combat. We have our carriers in the Western Pacific deterring China from claiming the entire South China Sea as territorial waters. We have carriers operating in the North Atlantic. And with those carriers have to come the cruisers, the destroyers, the frigates, the oilers that keep them supplied at sea. So all of that is crucial if we are going to maintain global security. And final thought, we don't want to be the world's policemen, but we want to live in a safe neighborhood. And sometimes that means having very capable military forces. We need a bigger Navy to do that. Admiral, thank you for your common sense. Thank you for uh, everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. And I hope you uh, higher positions are available to you in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Great talking to you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. Today we have Senator Ron Johnson with us, and he is from Wisconsin and one of the most common sense U.S. senators uh, we have. How are you, Senator, today? Well, John, I'm doing well. Hope you are, too. Uh, All's fine. It seems like the border crisis is not getting any better. Governor Abbott is mad as heck, and and he wants to get the National Guard to stop him. Uh, Washington is threatening to nationalize the the National Guard, uh, so they'll be... The commander-in-chief would be, instead of Governor Abbott, it would be uh, President Biden. I mean, what the heck is going on in our country? It's called Democrat governance. It's called a strategy to destroy this country that's being implemented by Joe Biden and his uh, Democrat allies here in Congress. I thought Governor Abbott's uh, letter explaining his actions, uh, citing the Constitution, was excellent. The threat to our republic is President Biden. I mean, the, the, the man who's going to spark a constitutional crisis is Joe Biden, the man who became president with a largely secure border and blew it wide open because he wants an open border. He caused the problem. He's the root cause. And now when governors are doing their duty, their state constitutional duty to protect the citizens of their state, now Joe Biden is uh, you know, going to court and trying to undermine their efforts, uh, getting, unfortunately, the Supreme Court to uh, side with the Biden administration and, and allow federal officials to get rid of the concertina wire and and the other things that uh, Texas has established to secure our border, to stop the invasion. This is outrageous. But again, it it is Joe Biden, it is Democrats. They are the ones that threaten our republic. It is their governance that's destroying this country. I understand that, and I am fit to be tied. What's going on Arizona and New Mexico? They have borders, too. I mean, I only see Governor Abbott yelling and screaming. How are they feeling? I think they have Democrat governors, just like California, right? So you've only got one border state that has a Republican governor that is uh, doing his duty. So, no, this is a problem. Border security did not used to be a partisan issue. Back in 2006, uh, when they passed the Secure Fence Act, President Obama voted for it. Joe Biden voted for it. Hillary Clinton voted for it. Chuck Schumer voted for it. All these Democrat leaders were in favor of building a fence. Now, under the Biden administration— 
again, that wants an open border that caused this problem when we offered amendments to just complete the fence that had already been bought and paid for. Every Democrat except Joe Biden or except for Joe Manchin voted against that measure. So it costs us more not to complete the fence than to actually compete it. Now, the Biden administration is, has sold off those fence parts that have been bought for pennies on the dollar. It's, it's really sick. What else keeps you up at three o'clock in the morning? Well, the fact the world's in flames is not particularly comforting. You know, kind of related to the secure border, you've got FBI Director Ray saying all the warning signs are flashing, that the threat of foreign terrorist organizations is as high as it's been, if not higher than 9-11. Gee, if you're a foreign terrorist organization, you want to flow or send fighters into uh, America, how do you think you'd do it? You'd do it through our poorest southern borders, part of the two million gotaways people we detected that we have no idea who they are. And by the way, we really don't know who the other 4 million people are either that have come in during the Biden administration. So I mean, that's concerning. And John, it's all caused by American weakness caused by this president. I mean, when, when you have the embarrassing and dangerous surrender in Afghanistan, that emboldens our adversaries. I, there's no way that Vladimir Putin would have invaded Ukraine under Trump presidency or until he saw how weak Biden was in Afghanistan. But also the other weakness is the 40-year high inflation. It's a war in fossil fuel. I mean, all these things weaken our nation and embolden our enemies. And so the, the world's in flames. Iran, the largest state sponsor terror through its uh, surrogates, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis. Obviously, the massacre in Israel, which is just grotesque, was monstrous. And that's all Iran-backed. And, of course, the Biden administration, like the Obama administration for them, coddles Iran and has funneled literally hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars in sanction relief and other things into the economy, which means into the military of Iran. Senator, you're on the committee, I believe, of Homeland Security? Correct. Wall Street Journal the other day wrote that U.S. Uh, secretly alerted Iran ahead of an Islamic State terrorist attack. Is that the one with the Saudi Arabians guys, uh, ISIS, attacked Iran? And who would alert them in the United States? I, I don't know anything specifically about that. I think it probably was that uh, the bombing at that funeral, which uh, killed more than 100 Iranians. So I don't know if there's anything specifically about a, a warning there. But I mean, it's just another example of doing everything they can to curry favor from the nation that threatens the world, threatens the region, wants to eliminate Israel, push us out of the region is attacking through their surrogates uh, American troops. And this administration is more, more concerned about coddling them than actually defending ourselves. I asked Secretary Pompeo last week, I said, Pakistan just entered the fray. I said, how many countries have to be in the fray before you call it a world war? How many would you say? Well, there's not a real definition to it. Uh, yeah. I think the, the scale of fighting probably would have to escalate, but let's face it, the scale of fighting in Ukraine is also monstrous. There have been over 100,000 Ukrainians killed in action, uh, over 100,000 Russians, a couple hundred thousand uh, wounded on both sides, you know, 10 to 40,000 civilians. I mean, this is, a, this is a bloody stalemate. It's a slaughter. That war has to come to an end. And so any kind of support we give to Ukraine needs to really be directed toward trying to convince Putin that this is not worth sticking this out engaging in a, a long-term guerrilla war like, like they, you know, Russia engaged in Afghanistan and finally had to retreat. This has to be settled, and this war has to end. Senator Ron Johnson, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Take care. Stay well. The Cats Roundtable.
With us today is Judge Janine Pirro. Uh, Janine, how are you this morning? Well, I'm fired up as usual. I am frustrated with the state of affairs in this country, and you name the topic and I'll roll. Texas. Governor Abbott is trying to protect his people. And, and well, I understand there's rumors around that President Biden wants and he, he wants to use the National Guard. And there's rumors around that President Biden wants to uh, nationalize the Texas National Guard so they take orders from uh, the president versus the governor. You know, uh, I got to tell you, John, what is happening in this country is amazing. And I, I want to start at the point of first congratulating Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. Because he has reminded us of the immigrants that are coming into this country illegally, not via a visa of any sort, not, you know, on merit, not applying to come into this country, but literally breaking through the border, demanding that they get all of the constitutional rights and all the benefits from education, housing, medication that Americans don't get. Now, immigration, illegal immigration, is the number one issue in Iowa and New Hampshire. Why? Because Greg Abbott started busing people, these illegal immigrants around the country, so the rest of America understands that this is an exigent situation. It is a crisis. And it is something that Americans can no longer afford. Since Joe Biden has been president, there's upwards of 8 million people who have come into this country illegally. Most of them, I would say the vast majority, we have no idea who they are, no idea of where they're going. And we're emptying out hotels in New York City. And we're emptying out schools. And now they're asking people to provide their homes for illegal immigrants, about whom we know nothing. And this is a total a result of the president of the United States not securing our border. Not only is he not securing the border, John, he is promoting the concept of an open border. How is he doing that? He stopped the building of the wall that Donald Trump was building. He stopped the remain in Mexico policy that the President Trump had worked with Mexico. He fought in the courts to remove Title 42 so that illegal immigrants could come in, whether they're sick or not, and not mandating any kind of vaccinations while we had to lose our jobs if we didn't get vaccinated. And now what we've got is a hell of a mess in this country. And Joe Biden is openly inviting illegals to come, opening our borders, so we are no longer a sovereign nation. We're nothing more than a globalist landing spot with benefits. And now you've got Massachusetts, Democrat Governor Healy, New York City, Adams, and they're all floating. Well, put them in your house. Baloney. Put I them mean, in it's your crazy. house. It, it's crazy. It is crazy. You know, uh, you know who I'm a firm believer. You know me way back when we used to run Ellis yep. Island. We should have an Ellis yep. Island type operation. And yes, we want immigrants, but we have to know who's coming and going. Well, you know what? It is the ultimate naivete to assume that everybody here is everybody comes through wants a job. Look, I get it. We're all children of immigrants or grandchildren or great whatever. But the truth is what Joe Biden has done is he has removed us as a nation of American citizens. And he has made the decision that anyone who comes here, whether you're from China, whether you're from Mexico, Central America, Pakistan, Iraq, Lebanon, wherever, you're entitled to come into this country and demand all the things that Americans can't afford. You know, we have veterans 
who've been thrown out of places, veterans who've given their parts of their bodies for us, who've been thrown out of facilities so that illegals can come in. I'm not exaggerating, uh, John. And what we've got is a president who is actively complicit with an invasion into this country. Brandon Johnson, a Democrat mayor in Chicago, is being sued by Chicago residents who are black. Black Chicago residents who are saying these newly arrived immigrants get everything they want. We're black Chicagoans. We need this space. 28% of us are below the poverty line. You want to allow these people to come in and give them everything without even asking who they are? And Janine, it's ridiculous what's going on. Janine, also... Arizona and uh, New Mexico and Southern California is on the borders. We hear a lot about Texas, but we don't hear much about them. What do you, you hear anything? No, no. You know why? Because they're welcoming them in. Look, we had a half a million gotaways in the past year. I'm sure it's more than that. What about the, the, the gotaways, the unknown gotaways? So in addition to 300,000, and I want I want your listeners to think about the fact, I grew up in a town or city of Elmira. It had like 50,000 people. 300,000 came in in the month of December that we know of. That didn't count the gotaways. That doesn't count the unknown gotaways. There are two different kinds of gotaways. People who don't want to come through the border because they have clandestine reasons. We know that the MS-13 gangs, we know that the cartels, the human traffickers, the drug traffickers are all over. I'm not just tooting, you know, facts that I don't know anything about. I have prosecuted MS-13. I have prosecuted immigrant gangs. I have prosecuted these people. And Joe Biden is in a position where he is not enforcing the laws. And stop telling me Congress has to act and he needs more money. All he wants money for, John, is the ability to get more Border Patrol agents to process these people. Process them. You're not even fingerprinting them. The children, you're not even getting DNA. They're involved in trafficking. These Jimmy, kids, the New York Times wrote about this. I, I got these 30 kids, more seconds, and I want to make sure I got, I got I want to make sure everybody knows that your show is on every Sunday at 11 <laughs> o'clock, and you're going to be on again this Sunday morning, and uh, and uh, I look forward to your show every week. Well, yeah, we're fired up. And look, we've got a, some interesting guests. I mean, I've got a Dr. Robert Hariri who's coming on to talk about some health issues that are apparently the Department of Justice is hiring lawyers to defend against lawsuits coming in because of the vaccine. That's a real issue. We're going to delve into that. We've got Hogan Gidley from the former Trump administration. And we're going to talk about all of the issues that are front and foremost that you need to know about. So Thank you, thank you so much for coming on. And I'll be <laughs> listening to you and, uh, at 11 o'clock. And I'll stay up to listen to you. I won't go back to sleep. Thank you so much. Don't go back to sleep. Love you, John. Bye-bye. Love you, too. Bye-bye. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, a resident genius, a historian, a medical expert, also on how do we live longer. Dr. Peter Michalos, what is our discussion today? Today, we're going to continue our talk about how to live longer and how to stay healthier. And today, something very important is our blood pressure. And we're going to start off by explaining what blood pressure is. And blood pressure is our blood travels through the tubes in our body called the arteries. And the force that the blood pushes against the arteries is called the blood pressure. And it's measured in millimeters of mercury, which is a measurement. Just like for weight, we have pounds. For blood pressure, we have millimeters of mercury of pressure. And if you have high blood pressure, that's considered 140 or 90 or higher. And if you have severe blood pressure, it's considered over 180, over 120. The top number is called the systolic, which is when the actual heart pumps and is pumping out. That's the maximum pressure. And when the heart is at rest, it's the resting pressure in the blood vessels. That's called the diastolic pressure. If your blood pressure is high, you get symptoms like blurred vision, nosebleeds, shortness of breath chest pains, and dizziness. So it's very important to try to control blood pressure. What's very interesting is a study that came out of Finland where they followed a couple of thousand people and they showed that saunas, interestingly, are very helpful for lowering blood pressure and reducing the chance of heart attack and strokes. Now, what happens during a sedentary lifestyle, the blood vessels are very interesting because they have muscles in the wall and they can actually change the thickness and change the size of the tube or what's called the diameter. And what happens is when you're sedentary and your blood vessels aren't moving and you get cholesterol and plaques, the arteries get stick stiff and that's called hardening of the arteries and narrowing. But when you go into the heat of a sauna, guess what happens to the blood vessels? They dilate. Why do they dilate? Because they want to cool the body off, and that's like a radiator system. Our radiator system is the dilation of blood vessels. That's why we get red and flushed when we're out in the heat. And the other thing that makes blood vessels open and close is exercise. And the World Health Organization has come up with the number that 30 minutes five times a week, which is 150 minutes a week, is all you really need to keep your blood vessels healthy and to be healthier. And activities that don't beat up your knees and, you know, like sometimes people think marathon running and all that's so great, but they found out that the marathon running, for example, can cause a lot of problems and arrhythmias. And I always remind people in ancient Greece, the guy who ran the first 26-mile marathon, he ended up dying after running 26 miles. So things that are much safer are swimming, walking, and dancing because you don't really beat up your knees and your joints, but you make those blood vessels open and close. And the blood vessels can actually, they're like alive. They're constantly moving. For example, if we're stressed out or we're threatened by something, you get butterflies in your stomach. Why? Because suddenly all the blood is shunned away from your stomach and into your arms and legs so you can fight or flight, so you can be prepared for whatever stress or you need to run away. So it's amazing how the blood has muscles in it, the tubes, and it can actually shift its way around. The good news is that you can control blood pressure with things like a low-sodium diet, trying to keep our weight under control, and there are medicines that help control blood pressure as well. And recently in the literature, in the anti-aging literature, because we're so interested in that area, they found that uh, medicines called ACE inhibitors, which block the ACE receptor, which is uh, located inside the blood vessels and in fat cells. And it basically, when you block it, it lowers the blood pressure. And they found that not only does it lower blood pressure, but they found that that class of medicine also is anti-aging and longevity. So amazing news happening in the world of anti-aging. 
And now our audience understands what high blood pressure is and things that you can do to control it and the importance of things like sauna, which is very popular in places like Finland, Europe, and other places. And I think that's something to be considered because it's basically a way of exercising your blood vessels without having to actually go and exercise. Now, the sauna also, if it's a hot sauna, doesn't it take out moisture out of your system if you have too much water in your system? Yeah, well, it makes you sweat and it makes you you lose some of the toxins that might be inside our body too. And we sweat, we actually lose some of the toxins. So it's actually a very healthy thing to once in a while break a little bit of a sweat because when the body how many minutes a, a week or how many minutes a day uh, on a sauna? The saunas are 15 minutes three times a week in the study, and they found that that was very beneficial. And those people had a lower risk of heart attack and strokes. And for regular exercise, it's 30 minutes, five times a week. And that exercise can be, again, walking briskly, dancing. Swimming is great because you don't beat up your joints. You don't end up with knee problems, hip problems. And that's one of the best exercises that we can do as humans. And don't do marathons are not healthy, in no, our opinion. They, in our opinion. Well, in the opinion also of the, of, the, of the research and the literature, always consult your doctor before you start any exercise program. But there's more atrial fibrillation, which is a cardiac arrhythmia in marathon runners. And that's why people are starting to relook at these prolonged, sustained exercise. We're really designed for short bursts of strength. For example, we were chased by a saber-toothed tiger in ancient times. We can sprint, we can run, but we're not really designed to beat up our knees and be running for two hours. It's just not natural for us. Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you. Live long and prosper, as they used to say. And God bless you, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out and helping our audience live longer and stronger. The Cats Roundtable. What is today is Marsha Blackburn, U.S. Senator from the great state of Tennessee. Senator Blackburn, good to hear from you again. How are you? I am doing well, and we are working hard here in and looking forward to what the year might bring and, of course, looking forward to what is going to happen in November of this year. Uh, Senator, uh, I, I always considered the Senate the elder statesman of our country. And I, I am still disturbed that the elder statesmen of our country, the Democrats and the Republicans, cannot sit around the table and, and make a deal, especially on our own borders. Uh, why is that? I don't understand it. You know, John, I, I think that there are so many people who are with you on that because our goal should be to secure our nation's borders and protect the sovereignty of our nation. And people are so perplexed that we have an administration that every single day they keep working to try to find new ways to make illegal immigration legal. It is their goal, and they seem to be focused on it like nothing else really matters. You know, they've got to find a way to get all of these individuals into the country. Over 100,000 Americans have died of fentanyl coming over the border, supplied to the Mexican cartels by our enemies. And 100,000 Americans in 12 months that's more than died in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Korea War. It just doesn't make sense anymore. And, and the borders. I believe in immigration, but we need checks and balances who's coming and going. 
Well, we need to know who is coming into our country and why they're coming. And that is why so many Americans are now saying the border is their number one issue. They look at those numbers of 302,000 people that came across the border in December alone. They look at the stats, 80 known terrorist watch lists coming into this country since the beginning of the fiscal year. And they're saying, wait a minute, what is happening here? What is going on? It is important that we secure the border. And, of course, under President Trump, we had a fairly secure border. In four years, he only had 11 terrorists that came to that southern border trying to sneak in the country. And you didn't have these hundreds of thousands of parolees and asylum seekers that are coming into the country. And this is why people are saying we have to secure that southern border and end this drug trafficking, this human trafficking, sex trafficking, the the entry of thousands of people from countries of interest, the thousands of criminals from other countries that are coming to our border. And, John, people know that this is happening, and they want to see something done about it. And they cannot believe that we won't go down there and put a barrier up, like Border Patrol has been asking for for the last 30 years and make certain that we know who's coming in this country and why they're coming. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, I remember uh, during the Iowa caucus uh, last week, I remember those people, middle America, like Tennessee is middle America, sitting in the diner, and and they they asked them the most important thing for them was, all of a sudden, it was the border again. And you could see their faces. They couldn't understand why uh, they're just letting people in that we don't know who's coming in. I interviewed Secretary Pompeo last Sunday. Secretary Pompeo says when the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray, stands up in the middle of Congress and presses the button and says, I am worried there's a lot of red buttons going off with terrorism, and nobody reacts. Well, that's exactly right. And people are saying if the FBI says they see red lights flashing everywhere they look and they're concerned about having hundreds of terrorists in the country and hundreds of MS-13 gang members in the country and the cartels who are pushing people into the country, they put people in the country from 170 different countries last year. And the FBI sees a danger, but this administration does not. And this administration is taking no action to secure that border. People are saying, hey, wait a minute, we need a different approach on this because it's imperative that we know who is coming and why they're coming and that people that have overstayed their visas, that they are deported from the country. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, Go to WABCRadio.com. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he's with us every week. And uh, we look up at the skies and we wonder what the heck is up there. Uh, Steve, give us some interesting things this week. 
Well, good morning, John, and good morning to the listeners of the Cats Roundtable. We start off on a somber tribute every year at this time of year, the last week of January into February. We mark, of course, a tribute to our fallen U.S. astronauts. We begin, of course, January 27th. 1967, John, a long time ago, the tragic fire with the lives lost of three Apollo astronauts, Grissom, Chafee, and White. This almost canceled the future of the Apollo program. And if things went differently, guess Grissom was probably going to be the first man on the moon. Then we find out 38 years ago today, how could we forget the loss of the crew of the space shuttle Challenger? Sadly, we all saw this if we were alive then, 73 seconds into the flight, the loss of the seven astronauts due to the O-ring seal failure on the right solid rocket motor. But, John, this is interesting. Through all the NASA research on this and investigation, the temperature was 26 degrees when they launched. They never should have launched it. And then on February 1st, 20 years ago, 2003, the shuttle Columbia disintegrated over Texas, Louisiana, the loss of all seven astronauts, simply space can be risky, but hopefully we learn from these mistakes and we memorialize our space heroes. What say you? Did they find the actual what went wrong with that mission? Which one, John? The Challenger mission? Or the, uh, yes, or the, the Challenger mission, yes. Well, I don't think they actually found officially what happened there, but they do know from the videos that they saw at the time, and they did recover, I believe, the solid rocket motors. They went uncontrolled, as we saw in that horrific explosion, but we know that one of the uh, main reasons for that failure was an O-ring seal that had failed. And it's all due to the temperature. But I don't think, John, they actually found the exact, you know, the exact particle from that you know, particular disaster other than seeing the burn through of the solid rocket motor into the large external tank. That's totally unbelievable. But the point is, don't launch when it's 26 degrees Fahrenheit. That's uh, something that NASA should have not done at all. But that's what happened. You think that was a contributory factor? Absolutely. Oh, most definitely. They, the whole NASA research team, a lot of astronauts, you know, on one of these blue ribbon panels, they did indeed search and say one of the main reasons for that disaster was launching at a time when it was very, very cold. But there was a problem, as I mentioned before, with the O-ring systems on those solid rocket motors. But it's so incredible, John. On the positive side, we talk about this Japanese JAXA, a Japanese aerospace exploration agency mission called Moon Sniper. Isn't that incredible? They soft land on the surface of the moon. They actually landed, John, on a slope on the moon in a crater region called Shaoli. And how they did this is even more amazing. They used a modern-day software, imaging software called Smart Eyes. So it basically was following up the terrain or following the terrain on the moon. And as it gets closer and closer to the surface, it's using these algorithms and the computers to be able to soft land. Well, at two meters above the moon, they say they dropped off these two little probes one called LEV-1 and LEV-2. They're tiny little, almost like little toys, and they're out there to just roll around the moon. And one of them was actually made by a Japanese toy company called Tomi. So the Japanese are very sophisticated on this. But sadly, the lander probably is dormant because it's ran out of battery power. But we got to give them credit. They're the fifth nation to land on the moon. Isn't that just totally amazing? It's tough to land on the moon. It, it is, uh, I guess so. I mean, uh... Uh, was even more re remarkable. Uh, how are the Chinese doing on the other side of the moon, the dark side? Well, they have this particular rover on the surface of the moon that's actually doing some research, and you got to give them a lot of credit because no nation, including the United States, has ever soft landed on the, as we call it, on this particular uh, dark side. No, it's more correctly the far side. That particular rover and spacecraft is actually working in a very interesting way. 
Before they landed there, they sent the spacecraft up that would be a satellite. So when on the far side of the moon, which obviously radio signals don't travel too quickly or even you know efficiently, you'd send the signal from the far side of the moon below on the lander up to this little relay satellite and then back to the Earth. But I don't know much more. There's going to be another of these particular uh, Chinese launches coming up soon, but they want to land at the south pole of the moon. That seems to be the hot spot. Why? Because it's a place where you could set up a lunar base inside some of these craters that never get sunlight. And at the top of those craters, you have permanent sunlight. So we'll see what the Chinese do with these particular uh, landers. Yep. But, John, the mystery of the week. We talked last week, and, and I just wanted to add a little more information. Geoengineering of the weather. Some of this may be conspiracy to some, not to me, but here's what we know. What is it? Modification by humans of the weather we have today. So what they're trying to do, if this is actually true, we know companies are trying to do some of this, but officially is it done for changing the weather over different countries to use in a military way? There's solar radiation management, carbon dioxide removal, weather modifications, as I mentioned. What would they do to do this? They'd inject ice particles into the atmosphere to stop the heat of the sun. And they would also add salt water into clouds to make them more reflective to sunlight. And some people, <clears throat> excuse me, are even talking about small mirrors in space to reflect solar heat so that we would lower the amount of sunlight that hits the Earth. But my concern about this is, where do you begin and stop? And God help us, in my opinion, if artificial intelligence gets involved in this whole thing. But that's interesting, John. Don't you think this whole concept of humans modifying the weather, hopefully it's for good purpose. And I'd like well, to hear your you know, I'll tell you, our creator who created the earth, uh, the weather serves a purpose of regulating yes. the temperatures of the earth. Uh, so this stuff about too hot, too cold, our creator has whatever has created on earth is making the modifications. So modifying the weather, what I would say is if you have a tornado that's going to hit downtown in a city, maybe sure. move the tornado over, you know, a couple of miles so it doesn't affect the buildings or, or something like that. Or just, you know, or a hurricane, maybe move the hurricane over a little bit. And to Absolutely. me, that is the smarter way of modifying the weather uh, because we try to modify the weather in different ways than you're, you're screw, screwing around with what, our, what the creator has done on the planet Earth. Now, the, the interesting thing I've always said to people, our creator has all the water that has ever been created, the drinking water, it evaporates and it becomes drinking water and it comes back down as rain. You now, got much so the, the, the same water that we had a billion years ago exists today. It just goes up, cleanses, cleanses itself, and comes back down as good drinking water. And, well, John, this is um, interesting. Yeah, you're right. It, that, yeah, that's you're the right. interesting some, portion. No, you're right. But there's something even more important or equally important that people should know. If you took an apple and you wondered when you look at it holding it in your hand, the weather sphere, the troposphere of the Earth is that precious area which we breathe oxygen and, of course, our weather is in. John, it's only the thickness of the skin on the apple. Isn't that amazing that if you look at the entire Earth as the apple, that thin layer of skin on the apple is the depth in, in so many ways to talk about it you know, as an example. But my concern would be what happens if, God forbid, nations got the ability 
to control the other. And if you're fighting a war, trying to create a war or do something nefarious, hopefully we can't get to the point where in the battlefield we could now on the other side, whatever enemy they might perceive, whoever it is, you know, generate bad weather or do things to, you know, reduce crop growth or destroy, you know, an entire economic infrastructure. That may sound like scientific and science fiction, excuse me, but I find it quite interesting just the same. Dr. Sky, Steve Cates, thank you for informing our our listeners, informing every American, and God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Good to be with you and the listeners. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.